Welcome in, guys. Today's episode, we're going to be talking about uh, how I would actually go out and build an advisory business completely from scratch and the step-by-step process I would do in my first year. We're going to talk about where to find good advisors to hire for sales roles. We're going to talk about how to use social media as a uh, financial advisor, an insurance agent, etc. And we're going to give you some tips on creating type form content and then also uh, with that how to come up with the streamlined process to creating the content itself so stay tuned guys you're gonna love this this is the advisor odyssey audio experience where financial advisors planners insurance agents and brokers will find fresh new ideas and perspectives around what it takes to launch succeed, scale, and bulletproof their business. All right, so the big idea today is, uh, it's, it's actually a question that I was asked, but the question was just way too big to hit in the left field segment. So we're going to go ahead and make that the real meat and potatoes of this. Here's the question that I was asked. And it started as, if I were you. But the question is, what would I be doing if I was trying to build an advisory business completely from scratch? Imagine I just got my insurance license and my securities licenses. I have no clientele, no networks, no uh, CRM at all, like nothing, completely from scratch. And I thought this would be a really cool episode to record for you guys. So jumping into it, this is the, the year picture. That's kind of how I had it structured out. It's how I would do it in my first year. That could bleed into a year, a year and a half, but overall, here's my step-by-step process. And there are officially nine steps to it. So uh, this will also play into my four components of a successful marketing plan. Uh, marketing is the lifeblood to starting a new business in the advisory space. So if you have not yet listened to that podcast or seen some of those videos, I would highly encourage you to go back and watch those because that's going to be a big component of what we're talking about today. So marketing from the like the bottom floor here. Step one, I would make sure that my website stands out and looks professional. Right, this is uh, a couple tips here is my website. Uh, nowadays, if you have a website, well, you need to have one for people to know you even exist. 15, 20 years ago, if you had one, you were the next big thing. But uh, your website is, it's not gonna really sell for you and you shouldn't be like misinterpret, you should not misinterpret that. Your website is there specifically to be a a living full-time business card. Um, But with my website, I wanna make it look different. I wanna make sure it looks professional. Some of the ways that I do that, uh, first and foremost, I wanna make sure that it's fully optimized for mobile usage. Most people that visit your website will do it from their phone and that's, that uh, percentage is only going to increase as time goes on as more and more people start using their smartphones more than they use their laptop or their tablet or their computer. Uh, my website, I would have it filled with call to actions for downloadable material and evergreen content, which preferably I would have it in video form, evergreen content. Uh, that way I don't need to always worry about updating it You know, for whatever reason. It's, it's there, it's evergreen, it's videos. But I would, the website would be filled with it. Not an overbearing amount, but every page should have at least a video. Uh, I would 
uh, this is pretty simple stuff. I would have an updated picture of me. And uh, if I have any sort of team at all, like maybe it's, you know, a husband or wife or a child or you know someone in the business, they would need to have an updated photo. You should never have a photo of you from 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago on your page. Uh, that's like old school. <laughs> um, it's, it's like hopping on a dating app and having a photo of yourself from 10 years ago. People aren't going to be expecting what they see when they sit down to meet with you. So um, my homepage would so there'd be four pages total on my website ideally i'd have the home page and then i'd have an about me page a planning approach page which i would title it our planning approach and schedule a 15 minute call so a lot of you might have like a contact page i would recommend doing a schedule 15 minute call page so again those are the four pages <clears throat> less means more in regards to websites but I would want to make sure that when people Google me, you know, because they hear my name or maybe, I, you know, they heard about my name somewhere like when I was talking to someone else or uh, if it's in my marketing efforts as I continually add those here. The goal is that I want their first impression of me to look professional. And my other goal is to make sure that when they see my website, that it stands out from the other advisors that they've ever gone and checked out their websites. Um which, by the way, first place anyone will go when they hear your names to your website. So that should be a staple for all of you. <clears throat> but the second thing that I would do, this is step two for marketing from the ground up. I would follow up my website creation with trademarking my sales process and whatever my deliverable is to new clients. So from day one, my call to action will not be what other advisors offer. There's no free consultation, there's no second opinion, no financial plan review, no exploratory meeting, none of that. My call to action will be specific and exclusive to me and my firm because I want it to stand out during the sales process and with all of the marketing efforts that I'm going to be doing. Again, when people are trying to decide who to work with and they're all offering the same thing, most people will gravitate to one of two uh, like measurements. The first one, and probably the more common, will be, do I like them? Do I relate to them? Are they likable? Like, do we get along? But the second will be their experience. How much do they know? How long they've been around in business? I want to try to remove any of that because, one, I haven't been around a long time. I'm starting my business from scratch. And then, two, I don't want people to make a decision on whether they like me or if they relate to me or if I'm personable enough to them without having sat down and met with me once. So, the goal for that is to stand out. Now, my call to action would be something uh, along the lines of, uh, and I jotted these down before I hopped on this, is your own custom fourth quarter financial game plan or your own custom retirement roadmap, right? Something like that, <clears throat> because this would be advertised everywhere. And I would get appointments set just because people are curious what it actually is that I'm offering. Now, and that's not a pompous statement. I want to be clear. I'm not saying everyone's going to set an appointment with me, but there's going to be more people who set the appointment just because they have no idea what it actually is that I'm offering, right? It's a whole new thing. I'm decommoditizing what I do, right? The uh, One of the biggest hurdles, if not the biggest hurdle financial advisors face when they build their business is standing out in the sea of sameness. There are so many advisors around the world, uh, around the country. You've got 
uh, tons of, uh, whether it be banks, you've got tons of agency models, you've got tons of captive like wirehouses, you have the independent advisors out there. Like you, you've got so many fields of advisors. If you sound like them and talk like them and speak like them, why would anyone choose you over them? So we're getting that out of the way. Um, step three here, with no baseline at all of clients or prospects even, my sole focus is on building a list of prospects uh, or potential prospects. I'll clarify because at this point, I wouldn't actually even know if they'd be legit prospects for me yet. So I would be pumping out content on social media platforms that have organic reach so I don't have to spend anything on promoting myself. Again, ideally, or excuse me, not ideally, presumably money is tight when you start your business from scratch because you have no clients. So I don't want to spend anything on promoting myself through branding. I'm just going to create it myself and I'm going to hope for organic reach and scale. The two best places that offer organic reach and scale is LinkedIn and TikTok. Again, literally you could go on there right now and create a video or a post and it could go viral by tomorrow. You can't do that on Facebook, can't do that on Instagram or uh you know, Snapchat or any of those other platforms. It's only on LinkedIn and TikTok for now. I would want my focus to be on exposing my business and my name to as many people as I possibly can in the very beginning. So those are the two platforms I would really focus on. I would still have Instagram. I'd still have a Twitter, but those are the two big platforms. And I would also build out a content calendar and stick with it. Another big challenge that advisors tend to face when they're trying to grow their business through the branding aspect is they think they should be spending three-fourths of their day creating content, and that's just not the case. Creating the content, recording it, whether if it's a video, typing it out, writing it out, if it's written content, that takes time. So uh, when that inspiration hits, I just want to ride that wave. So set aside time, build out a content calendar, and stick to it. So all you have to do is copy and paste or upload a saved video. You don't have to create anything in that moment. And then also, I'd be repurposing my content all the time to post across all the social media platforms that are free. So like common things that I, I think a lot of actually advisors and, and just individuals uh, in general, they overlook when it comes to creating content and then repurposing it. Every video that you ever record uh, or audio, any video or audio that you ever record there's a transcription that you should be able to get. Your subtitles are, I mean, assuming your content is powerful, that's just written copy. It's not going to look the same as, you know, how you talk versus how you write. So you'll have to edit it a little bit. But how many times have you said something really powerful during a phone call with the client that's not specific to them, but you've said something specific to financial planning that you thought to yourself, that was really good. I should probably remember that so I can tell more people that. This is your opportunity. Repurpose your content. Sit down 30 minutes of recording content and then chopping it up, splicing it up, subtitles, little snippets. That can last you weeks depending on how frequently you post. So I'd be all about the content creation as well. Um, the fourth piece here. This is when I would then begin my first paid marketing funnels that would allow me to get really, really granular on either a specific niche or an audience that I'm comfortable with. So um, those funnels, if it were me, I would be doing uh, probably educational workshops or dinner seminars. Um, I would probably consider a live webinar, but I 
don't think I'd roll with it right away. My niche, um, I would probably zone in on teachers because my wife is a teacher. I understand teachers. I understand a lot of what they do on a daily basis. I understand a lot of their retirement planning. Like I understand them enough. Um, not as well as my wife would, but I understand them. So that would be my niche. Um, some other popular ones, and quite frankly, I think they're really successful if you zone in on them. You got doctors, dentists, and doctors and nurses, dentists, government employees, other federal employees, you got self-employed entrepreneurs. There's a pretty hefty list here, but my focus would be solely on getting a quicker potential return on investment to put the money back into marketing. So again, for me, I would be doing dinner seminars or educational workshops. There's a learning curve for newbies when trying to run a seminar well. So now I'm familiar with a lot of dinner seminars, so I'm going to presume that I understand how to do it on an average basis. Not any less, not any better than the average. So um, what I'm about to tell you are legit numbers that one should expect with proper coaching and execution on their dinner seminars. And uh, again, if you don't have these, by the way, if you are doing seminars and you don't have the results like these, like don't hold anything against you here. This is more so a lack of like information and a lack of uh, direction from the, the individuals that you should be working with to help you. It's not a reflection of you. So I would spend $7,000 roughly. In my area, it's about $7,000 to send out a 7,500 piece mailer now, that $7,000 includes the mailer and the uh, dinner itself. Uh, let's say I get 38 buying units who RSVP to my seminar. So those 7,500 mailers got me 38 buying units to register. 30 of those bu 38 buying units showed up to my seminar. So that means I had eight no-shows. Now, of the 30 households that showed up, I set a first appointment with nine of them, a little less than a third. Now, those who actually showed up to the first appointment, six of them. Those who showed up to a second appointment, three of them. And then those who became a client, just one of them. Now, let's say... Uh, this is tough here to really get nitty gritty on hypotheticals, but if I know that my average revenue on a new client is $15,000, again, I use $15,400, then my ROI on my initial investment is 120%. Right? I made $8,400. Spent $7,000 to make an additional $8,400. So knowing that math, I would be funneling money into seminars over and over again to build up my client base. The math checks out. Over time, you'll build an average and you'll assume the above that I, like the, the previous that I had mentioned is the average as well. Then you know that every dollar that you put in seminars or that I would put in seminars, I would be getting a dollar 20 back, right? That's just how that works. So the best part is that over time, as you're consistent to with your marketing, uh, and again, all your marketing should be looked at as a long-term commitment and an expense. Uh, excuse me, as a long-term commitment, not an expense. My results would only get better. So my average that I had mentioned will only get better. So 
Uh, number five, step five here is in the beginning, I would be manually sending out an email blast that follows a standard email cadence sequence for financial advisors. Okay, there's email cadences for different types of businesses, and you don't want to mess with like the, the technology companies. You don't want to mess with the gyms or the, the you know food subscription companies. You're a financial advisor, right? You're in the financial services industry. Follow those cadences. But I would be sending out those emails to all of my no-shows for appointments and the events, and then all the households that didn't close out for whatever reason. So my example above that would be 37 households that I would be now actively dripping on through digital marketing and email marketing, uh, just through that standard email cadence. All my emails would be value forward without any call to actions, at least for the first month, because I don't want them to opt out too quickly. I'm assuming that the timing just wasn't right yet, and that's why they either didn't set the appointment or they didn't show up. I'm not going to assume it's because they didn't like me or want to meet with me. Right? Even though that's probably the case for some of them, you cannot assume that. Okay, Always assume that it's just not the right time, not that they don't like working with you or want to work with you. But anyways, those 37 households that I would be now sending emails out to, I would be uh, actively nurturing and dripping on them. I would run five more campaigns, or a total of six campaigns, we'll call it, uh, of the seminar campaigns. And if the metrics that I had mentioned, the numbers they were all the same, then I would have a database of 220 households that didn't send an appointment with me that I'm nurturing and dripping on. I'm assuming they're interested. Like I said, they raised their hand. They RSVP'd. They came to the event. They set the appointment or they didn't close. Anything in between. I knew that they were interested in me to some extent, but they fell through for whatever reason. And uh, eventually, I would automate my digital marketing and my email marketing when the money is more comfortable. Now, uh, one of the big reasons why I say that too is the number one reason prospects don't set appointments with you after they show interest in taking uh, you up on your offer to attend an event or to talk with you, it's because they aren't ready to buy yet. And that needs to be stressed. Just because they don't set an appointment doesn't mean they don't eventually want to work with you. It's just, you got to assume the timing wasn't right. But moving into step six, uh, after I get my first couple clients, my focus would be on rolling out the red carpet for them and blowing them away with the ultimate client experience during that first 60 to 90 days. I would follow a really simple feedback referral process. And uh, again, because that costs $0, just ask them for honest their honest opinion and feedback. And I can track it. So therefore, over the long term, I can begin to predict how many referrals I will get when I bring on a new client. This is good data for me as I scale. And then step seven here is after about six months, if I'm actively marketing, let's say based on those metrics above, I have about 10 to 15 clients now. I would host an appreciation event. This would be an in-person appreciation event. Something that can be more intimate, but a really cool experience for my target clients. Now in my case, Let's assume that I'm targeting retirees and pre-retirees. I would probably rent a movie theater out and host a private showing for my clients. Uh, probably an older movie so they don't fill up the seats with kids and teenagers who are not my target audience. Another option that I would do personally is I'd probably rent out a dugout suite at a, uh, either a baseball or a football game. 
And I would invite my clients to that. I want them to talk about it. I want them to be excited. So um, that leads into step number eight. If all of that went well, then I would continue to do more client appreciation events. But this time it would be less about appreciation and more focused on referrals. So in the example I said above about, um, or the example I said previously about the uh, like the sports game, whether it be baseball, football, basketball, whatever. Let's say money's a little tight and I can't just do that for appreciation. I've got to get something out of it. I would advertise that event as a referral-focused event and I would advertise it differently. I would structure it in a way that it's clear and by structuring, I mean the actual event itself and the marketing and advertising I'm doing for it. I would structure it in a way that's clear that in order to get a ticket or an invitation to come to the game, you need to bring somebody with you. The plan would be to meet at my office where I would then give everyone a tour and talk a little bit about what I do and then I would have transportation arranged to attend the game. I would need all the contact information and all the emergency contact information on those who come with me in order to make that happen. So I suppose you could consider those individuals leads or potential referrals but overall it'd be a really cool experience it would cost probably around ten thousand dollars in like totality and my clients would rave about it and it makes for a really easy referral conversation moving forward because it's creating a cultural of referrals through positive experiences as opposed to needing to ask for referrals or wait on my hands for them to show up randomly and then lastly my ninth step here with enough cash flow and reserves ready to deploy on another marketing funnel, I would personally check out the Warren report in my state and I would be geotargeting those areas, looking for 401k rollovers, pension replacements. That's a bigger conversation, but that's all the digital marketing that I would be doing in the very beginning. And I would be really focused on specific niche value. So you have, guys, that's what I would be doing my first year as a financial advisor if I went out all on my own and tried to build my business from scratch. From Left Field, where we take a swing at answering your specific questions and share our insights into the more common challenges that financial advisors, planners, insurance agents, and brokers typically face in their business. First question from Left Field today. The last few advisors that I hired to work with me all failed and left. Where can I find good advisors to hire? I mean, you could find good, you know, advisors or I'm going to generalize this too as whether it be a financial advisor, um, as a, like a, an insurance agent or, I mean, you, you could plug and play a lot of titles. You can really find some good ones pretty much anywhere. Um, I think you'll probably find a lot of really successful ones though. The, the kind of advisor that you want. And I'll explain that in a second. But you can find a lot of really successful ones in the banking channels. Uh, either, uh, I guess you can call it in the Medicare channels, depending if they're working with another agency or they're all on their own. And then you can also find it within the PNC industry, as in property and casualty industry. Now, I say these three areas, or these three channels and industries, because one, the banking industry, it's very supportive a lot of a lot of bankers who act as financial planners like within the bank they rely upon the bank to give them clients they are not used to going out and hunting to find their own so as long as you can provide them 
clients, they will not leave you probably. They definitely won't become your competition on their own because they'd be trying to do something they've never done before. So that's why I really like the banking channel. The They also have really good relationships. You'll notice a trend here. All three of these have really strong relationships. Uh, the Medicare channel, again, those advisors are very used to transactional sales. They're not used to holistic financial planning, typically, typically. So um, that situation is if you're a Medicare-based advisor and that's all you do, that's your entire business, then you are used to going out and finding people for just that line of business. So I would be trying to hire someone who just does that line of business and find a way to complement their services. And in exchange, they'd be complementing mine. So that's where I'd be looking. Uh, the third place I said is property and casualty. Again, that's really for the big client base in general. Um, that would be my only real, like, f for me personally, that's my only really big advantage of hiring someone from that space. Other than they just, they're familiar with the industries, uh, as in like the, the sales type industry. They're familiar with how, uh, you know, how to have those conversations with clients about what to protect, what not. Like, they're familiar with that. So I'd be looking for familiarity. So those are the three places I would look just to find some better advisors on a general basis. Our second question today from left field, how should I be using social media to gain clients? So this is something that I actually drill into quite a bit when I talk with the advisors that I work with and everything. You cannot confuse your social media with active marketing. You cannot, it's all passive. Uh, you could kind of blur the lines if you have like a, an email campaign or a digital marketing campaign that can become fairly predictable. But social media, assuming you're posting your own content, you're not looking for clients typically. You're trying to create your own brand. It's um, Again, social media is there for branding purposes. Most people, your social media is what catches their eye, but they don't take action because of something you put on social media. Typically, social media doesn't create urgency. So um, really the mindset around social media should be how can I find really good content to either curate or how can I create my own content that appeals best to the type of person or type of individuals that I want to work with. That should be the main focus. As soon as you try and deliver all these call to actions over social media, and again, organic social media, like as in on your Twitter profile, if you're asking people to set an appointment with you, or you're advertising meeting with you, it's just not going to work. Um, or if, if it does work for you, then you are an anomaly and I congratulate you. But on a general level, it's not going to work. So your social media is there for branding purposes. And uh, again, it's also a living business card. I mentioned about the website earlier. Your social media is also a, li a living business card. When Joe and Susie very passively reference you to their friends, Joe and Catherine, they will find you on social media. They'll Google you. They'll, they'll go to your Instagram, your Twitter, your Facebook, your so, uh, Snapchat, your TikTok, whatever it is. They'll find you. And that's going to be their first interpretation of you. That first, uh, I guess you can kind of call it a realization of whether or not they want to work with you. So, uh, again, social media, you're not using it to gain clients as much as you are trying to build leverage and build a brand for yourself that attracts people. Final question today from left field. I struggle with coming up with content for social media, specifically with writing content and copy. Any tips on knowing what to write about and how to streamline the process? 
creating content can be really hard, especially if it's for written content. When you have video content, it's really easy to fill in the space, the, you know, with uh, the ums, the ahs, the hesitations, like it's, it's natural. But in written form, you don't have that luxury. So, um, and also people pay attention a lot less when things are written. So you got to have any media hook. So here's the formula that I've found and that I talk with about the advisors that I work with. Uh, and it's four steps, pretty easy. It's four steps to streamline that process and come up with ideas. Step one is figuring out the vague and common problem. And I say figuring out, you're gonna choose it. Step one is choosing the vague and common problem. That could be running out of money in retirement. That could be overpaying taxes. That could be dying and not having any money to pass on your next kid because you didn't have life insurance. Find the generic and vague topic. And again, I say generic and vague because the more generic it is, the more common it is. So step two is to emphasize the future impact of the problem when it's left unaddressed. So with the retirement income situation or running out of money in retirement, pardon me, if that's the vague and common problem, then you need to emphasize the future impact of uh, if someone does run out of money in retirement, right? Talk about that. Make it clear. Draw a picture. Storytell. Uh, basically highlight what happens if it's left unaddressed. Step three is giving them. Step one to fixing it on their own. And I really need to specify that. Step three is giving them the first initial thing they can do on their own. So if it's, again, running out of money in retirement, step three, or I'm sorry, step one of phase three here would be, in, in my mind, Make sure that your 401k is at or near the amount you think it is. That'd be step one right there. And your step ones could be different things, but the point is something that someone can do all on their own without you. Because the fourth step of this is uh, how they can leverage you or your services to help them with the next handful of steps. So in that same example, if it's running out of money in retirement, step one, they need to see the, uh, how much money is in their 401k and if it's at or around the same value. Step two, three, and four might be uh, laying out a potential budget in retirement, then planning on when they want to retire, and then uh, you know fill in the blanks as you go. But the point is, you can help them with the budget. You can help them with knowing when they can retire. You, you just kind of fill in the gaps there. But that's the content that you want to create when it comes to written copy. Hope that helps. We hope you enjoyed the Advisor Odyssey audio experience. Connect with us on your favorite social media platforms at Advisor Odyssey. You can find our full-length educational videos to watch on YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Check out all our articles and publications on medium.com forward slash Advisor Odyssey. The Advisor Odyssey podcast is available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. The contents and opinions shared, expressed, or otherwise alluded to on the Advisor Odyssey podcast and audio experience are solely ideas not to be depicted as tax, legal, or investment advice. Results from the use of these concepts may not be representative of the experience of all financial professionals and are no guarantee of future success. Your results may vary. 
The Advisor Odyssey and its affiliated members are not to be held liable or responsible for any lawful recourse or punishment invoked upon the individual or accompanying business partners or team members. Federal law, state law, and or insurance carrier requirements may prohibit or place limitations on any of the ideas and activities expressed. All advisors, planners, wholesalers, affiliated reps, and investment advisors should be aware of any limitations imposed by federal regulation, state regulation, insurance carriers, broker-dealers, and registered investment advisors as applicable. Investment advisors are strongly encouraged to obtain pre-approval from the broker-dealer, registered investment advisor, insurance company, or similar institution with which they may be affiliated.